And so in answer to his disciples' request there, in the verse 1 that we have read, where they say, Lord, teach us to pray. The Lord's first lesson was to unfold to his disciples the wonderful paternal relationship in which God the Father now stood to them as those who were saved by his grace. You know, this was a lost truth to our sinning and to our sinful race. In forfeiting his own sonship, man by his rebellion and fall into sin there in the Garden of Eden had forfeited the very fatherhood of God had become an orphan in sin, one who was alienated from his heavenly father and one who by sin and by rebellion was none other than a fugitive upon this very earth without God and therefore without hope. And therefore this is why in the ultimate sense the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to redeem And to reconcile his people unto God and to bring them into that relationship and into that possession of sons and daughters of the Most High. Over in Ephesians chapter 1 and the verses 3 through to 5 we read there. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ hath chosen us in him, in Christ, from before the very foundation of the world having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. And such was the the great truth our Lord presented to his disciples here now, instructing them how to approach their heavenly Father in the very place of prayer itself and what position they actually enjoyed as they came and approached unto him. And from no better teacher, Could they learn this great truth that God was now their father in an intimate sense by the adopting grace of Almighty God? And so today as we look at this particular passage of God's precious word there, there is a tremendous thought which reverberates really from these words, our Father which art in heaven. You see, these these very words this morning, they express and sound forth to us the great comfort. No matter who you are as a child of God or you're standing in this life, these words give great comfort to us of continual access to the throne of heavenly grace amid all the trials and amid all the troubles that we have to face in this life. Uh, this privilege, which belongs to us only as the children of God, to those who can honestly address God as our Father. And as I introduce this text this morning, there are some thoughts really that we need to consider as we seek to understand what it means to draw nigh to our Father in the place of prayer and the tremendous privilege and position that we have in Him. The first thing I want us to consider today is this, our preparation of heart 
as supplicants before our Heavenly Father. Our preparation of heart as supplicants before our Heavenly Father. Thomas Manton, one of the great Puritan divines, he he seeks to point us in the right direction in the place of prayer when he says we should begin prayer with awful thoughts of God. And by those words, awful thoughts, he means thoughts that inspire us with a deep sense of awe, with a deep sense of reverence, understanding the one before whom we come. This is what the psalmist does over there in Psalm 86 and the verses 6 through to 8 where he prays, Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer and attend unto the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods there is none like unto thee. There is none like unto thee, O Lord, and neither are there any works like unto thy works. You see the psalmist here in the place of prayer as he approaches the throne of grace has that right view of the God of his salvation. There is none like unto him. Neither are there any works like unto the works of the God of our salvation whom we seek to come before. And you see, child of God, here then is the key to successful praying in the Christian life. It is firstly getting a clear and a right view of the one whom we approach unto. And this is really what the words here in this particular portion of God's word, these words are Father which art in heaven, these are, is what these words intend to give us. You see, they invite us as the children of God to stand still a while at the very threshold of prayer and to consider, firstly, the mercy of God towards us. You think about that, child of God. The mercy of God, the God of this whole universe, the mercy of God towards you and me. As expressed by those words, Our Father. Secondly, it beckons us to consider not only the mercy of God towards us, but the very majesty of God. As expressed there by those words which are in heaven. And you see, child of God, thinking on God's mercy stirs in us a great confidence in the place of prayer. That he has dealt with me in Jesus Christ and has afforded and has gave his mercy, his grace towards me. And while pondering his majesty, it produces reverence in our hearts as we approach unto him. You see, in prayer we are taught to to come before him with confidence. New Testament, you see, is full of verses that deal with this theme of our coming boldly in our approach to the throne of grace. To speak freely to our Lord. But you see, that boldness, it must never degenerate into brashness. Our confidence in coming to God must always be accompanied by sincere and by godly reverence, realizing who we actually come before. 
There must be the preparation of our hearts as supplicants before the throne of grace. Not only this, but secondly today, there is the consideration of our possession before God as sons. And that's something that's very important for us in the Christian life. The consideration of our possession before God as his sons and as his daughters. You see, from these words, our Father, we understand that in prayer we come to God as his sons. This is one of the most precious truths about prayer that has been revealed to us in the word of God. You see, when God actually saves a rebel and a sinner out of his or out of her sin and they're fallen and undone and unrighteous and unclean condition, what he actually does is he adopts that person into his family and into his fold. The Westminster Shorty Catechism It teaches us in this particular truth of adoption. It says adoption is an act of God's free grace. That free grace towards a guilty sinner. Whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Can you take that in this morning child of God? Romans 8 verse 17 teaches as the sons of God, we are therefore heirs of God and joint, actually joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 8 verse 15, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby now as the children of God, you are unable to approach God, the God of all glory, and you are unable to cry, Abba, Father. What a possession and what a privilege we have as the very sons and daughters of the Most High God being taken from the awful uh, possession of our sin and our rebellion, our debauchery, our uncleanness and brought into the very family and fold of God. And having a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. You see, this great truth of adoption is one of the the central benefits of redemption applied uh, to those who are saved by grace. You see, in, in, in our justification, God forgives guilty sinners and accepts them as righteous in His sight on the grounds of Christ's righteousness. And in adoption, He brings those who were once His enemies into the very family and into the very fold of God, giving them an an eternal inheritance to all the blessings that we have in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this way, the benefits of Christ's death and his, His resurrection bring sinners from the law court to the very living room. You get that child of God today. We are brought from the court of law. And Christ stood as our surety, as the one who was our righteousness. And there in the law court, we who should have been condemned, unclean and unrighteous and cast out forever, Christ stood as our surety, as our representative on our very behalf. And we are justified in the very court of law before God. 
And from the very court of law, we are brought right into the very living room of God, into the very family of God, into the very fold of God. And in that living room, as it were, we enjoy all the rights and all the benefits and all the privileges that we have in union with Jesus Christ because of the one who accomplished it all on our very behalf. And you see, these words, our Father, as we have read them many times in our, our life experience, these words here, our Father, they refer therefore to a special and to a unique relationship that God has with those who are now redeemed and who are reconciled to Him by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, contrary to the notions of many today, Spiritually unregenerate sinners are not by nature the children of God. That is not our privilege by nature. We do not have this privilege of the sons of God by nature. You see, Ephesians 2 verse 3 is very clear. It says that by nature we are the children of wrath, even as others. And you see, child of God, this is something that we need to continually, continually Bring over to our own hearts as those who have been redeemed by the grace of God that we were once by nature afar off. We once were by nature the children of wrath and yet because of what Christ has done, because of what Christ has accomplished, we have been justified, legally accepted. We have been adopted into the very family and into the very fold of God brought from our sin and from our misery into the blessings of all that we have eternally in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, in the highest sense, the name Father speaks of God's relationship to those who have been brought into His family and who are now through Christ rightly related to Him. As Paul teaches in Galatians 3.26, ye are now the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And you see this intimate relationship, it has been brought about by blood and by birth. It's the same even in, in the natural sense. The relationship that you as an individual have with your family is one that is there by birth and by blood. You are related to them. And it's exactly the same in the spiritual sense. And what I mean by this is we have been redeemed and purchased by none other than the atoning blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came as our elder brother to represent us in the great covenant of grace. The great work of redemption that the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished in his life and in his death has been therefore applied to us by the Holy Spirit. He effectually and irresistibly called us from nature's darkness into the marvelous light of the glorious gospel, regenerating us by the new birth, giving to us eyes to see, taking away that stony heart and giving to us a heart of flesh. Therefore, we who at one time were far from God have been brought into this privileged and into this blessed place and possession of intimacy. In the very family of God. You listen to the words of 1 John chapter 3 in the verse 1 where it says, Behold, 
Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the very sons of God. And I say to you this morning, child of God, does that not thrill your soul? As once again you hear those tremendous words, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon you. And I say to you today, no matter who we are, we do not deserve the least of his mercies or of all of his truth that he has shown unto us. We don't deserve one ounce of it in and of ourselves. It is Christ who has earned it. It is Christ who has purchased it. It is Christ who has brought us into this uh, particular position because when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem us. Christ came. He took our humanity into union with his deity. He identified himself with us in all of our need. He became bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. He set his face as a flint to go all the way to Calvary. And there upon Calvary's tree, the one who knew no sin, he was made sin for us. Our sins were laid upon him and all of their depravity and all of their debauchery. The wrath of God was poured out upon him. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That we might be saved, that we might be redeemed, that we might be reconciled. Might be brought into this blessed position and privilege of, ch- of the, being the very children of our heavenly father. And you see, the fact is this, child of God. When we are adopted, we who are mere creatures of the dust, mere creatures of the dust, are brought to share in the things that belong, that belong by right only to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are brought into those blessings and into those privileges. We who are mere creatures of the dust, you see, it is because we are in union with Jesus Christ. And we as children become, as Galatians 4, 17, here it is, child of God. We as the children of God become heirs of God and we become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You see, that, that's something as a child of God you need to focus on and you need to see in your life's experience. And so often, I have to say, so often... Do we not, as, as even the children of God, do we not focus in our own weaknesses, in our own faults, in our own feelings? And there's a, there's a place for that. And you know, I think sometimes we forget who we are and what we have in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. That we are actually heirs of God. That we are joint heirs with Jesus, Jesus Christ. That possession of this morning, child of God, you are seated with him in heavenly places. The Bible teaches us that as he is, as Christ is, so are we in this world. That is the possession and the privilege that you enjoy as the sons and daughters of the Most High. Christ has become our elder brother. And great are the benefits which God, for Christ's sake, now grants and bestows unto us as his redeemed people. Our union with Christ is the very fountain from which flows all of the blessings which he has already purchased for us. You see, child of God, the blessings that you need, the grace that you need in your life every day to face the trials and tribulations, the ups and downs of this particular life, those, those graces are not something which you as a child of God have to earn. Absolutely not. 
The Bible says, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. That is something which Christ has already purchased for us as our representative and as our surety. And now we are in him. We are in union with Christ. We are blessed in Christ. We are joint heirs with God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And it is in the place of prayer that we go to appropriate these blessings which are ours. To make them over to our account. And thus we have read there this morning. Can't put it any plainer, any simpler. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be, uh, it shall be opened unto you. This is the word of the Lord. He has said, if ye then be in evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. And there are many fathers here this morning. And uh, no doubt in your heart you love your children. You desire to the best of your ability to give good gifts unto your children. That they might be benefit and that they might be blessed. How much more? How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Every blessing flows through Christ and is bestowed by the Holy Spirit. We are completely delivered from the bondage of sin and its condemnation because we are accepted in Christ. We are led by the Holy Spirit in paths of truth and righteousness through His indwelling us. Another privilege. We are enabled to come boldly to the throne of grace and prayer. I wonder, child of God, when we come to that place of private or public prayer, is it, is, it, is it sometimes just a ritual that we go through? Or do you come to the place of prayer with that joy and that thrill upon your soul and upon your heart that you have once again that access to the throne of heavenly grace, to the God of all glory, who is your heavenly Father, whom you're intimately related to, who loves you. I have loved you with an everlasting love, and there with loving kindness I have drawn you unto myself. He desires fellowship. He desires communion with us. And the throne of grace is there and is open that we might obtain mercy and that we might find grace to help in our time of need. And you know, so often we can... We can treat the, the place of prayer, maybe our own private time or, or the public place of prayer. and We're just simply going through the motions and through the rituals, not realizing what we are and what we have in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have God's unfailing care in, in all that befalls us in the Christian life. I will never leave thee, I will never forsake thee, he has said to us. And even though we are subject to God's corrective discipline, which is necessary in our lives at times, it is only in love that the Father chastens us for our good and for his glory ultimately. And best of all, our, our Father promises that amidst all that we have to go through, he will never forsake us because he has sealed us unto the very day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. You see, child of God, what I'm saying to you here this morning is what a security, what a, a, a blessing, what a, a privilege we have in union with Jesus Christ. We are, we are assured. We are assured of a welcome at his throne of grace. When you turn just for a short time to, to 2 Samuel this morning, I want to try and get this over a little more in, into our hearts and our minds today. If you turn over there to Second Samuel chapter 9, we read of a, a man, many of you will know, no doubt. We read of a man there by the name of Mephibosheth, a great character in Scripture. 
You will note there in the the verse 1 of this particular passage, it says there, David, the king here at this occasion, David, he refers to any that, uh, that are left of the house of Saul. Saul's house has now been more or less wiped out. Saul is now off the throne. And David has become king. David is in that position of authority and rulership and kingship. David here in verse 1, he refers to any that is left of the house of Saul. And there's one by the name of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the member of a rebellious household. A house whose head, Saul, was a, a total failure. And thus Mephibosheth did not deserve the compassion or he did not deserve the mercy that uh, the king, uh, king David showed and bestowed upon him. Rather, he deserved death. He deserved to be put to death. It portrays really the sinner's undeserving state, doesn't it? In the gospel. Portrays our undeserving state. We find here that Mephibosheth was impoverished. He could not offer David, King David anything. He could not earn his restoration. And just like the sinner, just like us as sinners, we have nothing to offer God. Mephibosheth was also stricken with a physical inability. You'll see in the verse 3 there, it informs us that he was lame on both his feet. And this was the result of a fall over in 2 Samuel 4 verse 4. It says his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass that as she made haste to flee, he fell and he became lame in both of his feet because of this fall. And thus he was incapable. Physically speaking, he was incapable of himself of going to the king. But you see in verse 5, David considers Mephibosheth's awful condition and he considers his inability. And despite this, he brings him to the palace. And he makes him one of his sons. What a picture we have here in the gospel, child of God. Because of the fall of our first parents into sin, we were lame in the spiritual sense on our feet, spiritually speaking. We have absolutely no way of going to the king of kings. We have no way of restoration in and of ourselves to that position. You will remember that Mephibosheth here, he was the son of the king. A king who had been dethroned. A king who had been a failure. And you see the head of our household, Adam, our great representative in the covenant of works, has been an absolute failure. And because of his fall, we are lame in both our feet, spiritually speaking. No way of going to the king of kings. But you see, like David, the king of kings has considered our condition. He has considered our lost estate. He has considered where, considered where we have been. Mephibosheth was a dead dog in the dust, just like where we are. You will find here there was uh, the restoration of his possessions. In verse 7 it says, King David says, I will restore all the land of Saul thy father. You see, through Saul's failure, the inheritance was lost. But now in King David, it is once again restored. And what a vast inheritance man lost through sin and the fall in the Garden of Eden. But you see in Christ, the second Adam, it has been restored. As Ephesians 1 verse 3 teaches, we were blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You will notice here, his position was restored. 
Verse 11 refers to him being as one of the king's sons. This possession had also been forfeited by the calamity that came upon Saul's household. But now Mephibosheth is raised again to what had been lost. He as it were is adopted into David's family. His privileges were also restored. It says in the verse 10 that he was brought to sit at the king's table. One who was a dead dog in the street. Now finds himself sitting at the king's table in verse 10. And thus, uh, and thus he had all the privileges that accompanied being a companion of the king. As one of his sons sitting at his table. And this speaks to me this morning of fellowship with Christ. And like Mephibosheth, believers were once outcasts, but now they are privileged to be seated with the King of Kings at that great spread and table which Christ has prepared before us. Does the the psalmist not say in Psalm 23 that he has prepared a table for us in the very presence of our enemies? He's prepared a table of provision. I, in the midst of the very presence of our enemies, we are seated at the table of provision because of Jesus Christ. Being seated with the king, the past is obviously forgotten. There was acceptance with David. You see verse 13 where there is, <coughs> there is, reference, to, uh, there is reference to Mephibosheth's lameness. But it was not seen, you see, as he sat at the king's table, as his feet run to the table, his his lameness was no longer seen. It was forgot about. It had been dealt with because of the provision that David set before him. And we are accepted in Jesus Christ because of the provision that he has set before us. His provision was restored. Verse 13, he did eat continually at the king's table. I tell you this morning, Christ, he feeds us as his people with nourishing food. He meets the needs of our souls through the means of grace that he has given to us. And with such an intimate relationship based on such a union with Christ, we are assured as we pray, our Father, that God will therefore hear us. You see your possession, child of God, do you see your privilege? As one in union with Jesus Christ. Then quickly this morning. Thirdly. The consideration then of our privileges as sons. As we've already said we enjoy unique privileges. Too often we focus upon the pressures of life. And the difficulties of our circumstances. And we lose sight of the great privileges and blessings. That we actually possess in Jesus Christ. And yet the fact is this, our position and our privilege in Christ, it never changes. Despite our changing circumstances, the circumstances of our life, our position in Christ, and the privileges that we enjoy in Christ, they remain the same and do so throughout all eternity. We have the blessing of the indwelling Spirit. Our Father gives us the indwelling Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in His providence. And therefore, child of God, you must realize that God, who is your Father, loves you intimately. And that He will make even the hard circumstances that we have to face in this life work out for our good and ultimately for His glory. 
And therefore, let the realization of this great truth be an antidote against fear that would creep into our lives. Nothing. Nothing. No matter what it might be, nothing comes to pass but what is ordained by God's decree and is is ordered in, in His providence in our lives. You see, men around us, And even the very powers of darkness are are limited in their power. And they cannot go one hair's breadth further than God's uh, decree and providence permits them to do so. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Note this point well, child of God. God who is our heavenly father is therefore still to be trusted even when his providences in our lives seem to run contrary to his promises. You remember how God promised to give David the crown and to set him upon the throne one day to make him king of Israel but providence in the life of David it seemed to run contrary to to God's promise. David was pursued by Saul, was in danger of his life, had to flee many times into the cave and had to hide. And and you would say in the life of David, how is this man ever going to be king? King Saul is pursuing him and seeking for his life, seeking to destroy him. How could he ever be king in Israel? But all the while it was David's duty to trust God who had given him the promise. Romans 8 verse 28, you see it says, and we know. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. Our Father gives us the Holy Spirit to supply us also with power for service. Luke 11 verse 13, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? You see, child of God, God's work must be energized by God's power. It's not by might or by the power of man. It is by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. You can have all the organization you want. An organization is good, but unless you have the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit, it is all in vain. Vain is the help of man. What is needed is his spirit and the outworking of his power in our day and in our generation. I bring it right down to our congregation, and to our very lives. The early church proved this, and so must we. Having already received the Spirit of our Father, we cannot settle for anything less than the full experience and enjoyment of the outworking of His ministry in guidance, instruction, and power every day in our lives. And we must seek for this in the place of prayer. And he's promised to give it to us. He has also promised to supply all of our needs. In exercising his fatherhood, our Father in heaven also supplies all of our needs. The Lord Jesus emphasized the Father's provision for us in his sermon there upon the mount. He tells us first that our God, he knows what we need. 
You see in Matthew 6, 8 it says, Your Father knoweth what things you have need of, even before you ask Him. And then He assures us that we may trust our Father to meet the needs that He sees that we have. You see Matthew 6, 31 and 33 it says, Therefore take no thought or no anxious thought, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or withal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things they shall be added unto you. And these assurances, child of God, therefore, in light of all that we have seen today, these assurances hold good, even, even in the midst of trouble and even in the midst of affliction, that every one of us at some occasion or lives have faced or will have to face. You see, the Apostle Paul, he testifies of this. There in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9, he says, we are, we are troubled on every side. How many of you can say today, I can raise my hand today. On many occasions, there's something that has troubled us in the Christian, of, in the Christian life. We've been troubled we are troubled on every side, and yet the psalmist, he says, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. As the children of God, you know, we often, we often despair about sometimes the situation that we find ourselves in. We can despair about the lukewarm state of the professing church. We can despair at times about the lack of souls getting saved. And what does God's word have to say in light of all of these things? What does our Heavenly Father have to say to us in light of these things? Philippians 4.19 But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Matthew 16, verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Isaiah 53, in the verse 11, he shall see of the travail of his soul and he shall be satisfied. Do you believe these promises, child of God? If you believe them, then you can plead them with great confidence before the throne of heavenly grace and your Father who hears in secret is the one who rewards openly. He has promised to give us comfort amid all the trials of life as our Father. God also comforts us in all of our trouble. David expressed this confidence in Psalm 103, 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. David, he proceeds to say in Psalm 103, 14, he knows our frame and he remembers that we are but dust. Isn't that a tremendous thing to think about today? That he knows our frame. That the God of all glory is not someone who is afar off. But he remembers that we are but dust. And he is actually touched with the very feeling of our infirmity. So intimately are we related to him. And he has promised child of God to give us a glorious inheritance. This is because of your union with Christ. Never lose sight of that child of God. Never lose sight of the union that you have with Jesus Christ. 
The, the burden of Peter's heart was to get this truth over to the suffering saints of his day. There Peter says in 1 Peter 1, the verse 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, an inheritance undefiled, an inheritance that fadeth not away, and an inheritance that is reserved in heaven for you. May the Lord bless his word to your hearts today. May he give us those thoughts upon our hearts and our souls to consider who our heavenly father is. To consider the position that we have before him, position of sons, and the, the privileges and the provision that our heavenly father for Christ's sake bestows upon us. As we come to the place of prayer, whether it be privately or whether it be publicly, may we come with these tremendous truths reverberating in our heart and in our soul that there's a throne of grace, that our Heavenly Father is there, and that there we can obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We'll just close in a word of prayer. May the Lord bless His word to your hearts today for His sake. Our Lord and dear Heavenly Father, we thank Thee again for Thy Word. We thank Thee in Thy Word we are taught that Your Word that goes forth, it shall not return unto You void, but it shall accomplish that which Thou please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto Thou hast sent it. So bless Thy Word to our hearts, hide it within our hearts, enable us to comprehend who Thou art, to understand what we have in union with Jesus Christ, to understand the possession that we have of sonship and the great provision and the privileges that we have before the throne of heavenly grace. May we be able to supplicate the throne with uh, that confidence and that boldness that we are taught of in Scripture, having, therefore, brethren, boldness to come unto the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So Father bless us. Bless thy people here today. Lead them out after thee. Encourage their souls. Remember those who are backslidden in heart. For those outside of Christ. We pray Father that today they will consider. That today they do not have this position of sonship. And of nearness. To God our heavenly father. But they are afar off. And they are outside of Christ. And they are still in that broad road. That is leading to eternal destruction. May they flee today. We pray that they've been able to flee from the wrath which is to come and get to Christ who alone is the way, the very truth and the life. Thank you for the Savior. Thank you for everything that he has done for us. And we rejoice in him today. We ask all of these things in his name and for his sake. Amen.